0: Hey, welcome to Conversations with Ben Dixon. Thank you for tuning in today. If you want to listen or watch our podcast, you can always go to YouTube, you can go to Spotify, or you can go to iTunes. Thank you for sharing this with your friends and your family and joining the conversation. If you forget all that, make sure to go to our website, www.conversationswithbendixon.com. Hey, today we have a special guest with us. His name is Ben Dixon. That's right. I'm writing solo today. Normally, I want to have somebody with me. I want to have a conversation. So it's more like a monologue today, but I think it's important to do that sometimes to cut from the normal and actually have a monologue type conversation. And I really want to encourage you. I want to inspire you today. I'm going to be talking about the power of our influence. Specifically, I want to attach this conversation to writing. Now, I'm not going to present myself as some guru. I don't want to talk to you as an expert. I just want to talk to you as an average guy who made a decision that I'm going to write. I'm going to write books. I'm going to write material, curriculum, blogs. I've done all of that and more. And I want to share with you how you take whatever is in your heart the creativity that God's given you, whether you're supposed to be a songwriter, you're supposed to write poetry, you're supposed to be a social media influencer. And maybe it is that you're called to write books or curriculum or something of that nature, but you just haven't done it. It's in your heart and you have not accomplished what, has, what is in your heart. I wanna inspire you and I wanna encourage you to follow through and what kind of discipline it takes to get from where you are to where you need to be. So I'm just trying to imagine if you're on the other end and you're asking questions like, Ben, I've got something in my heart, but I don't know how to cross the finish line. I don't even know how to start. Today is your day. I want to cut from the normal conversations that we've been having, like faith deconstruction, church trauma. We've talked also about leading through COVID 2.0. Come on, these are heavy topics, okay? And they sort of have the dun, 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 kind of uh, in the background music attached to it. But I want to be more inspirational, and I simply want to speak to something that I think could be helpful to you and encouraging. So please do receive it as that. I'm going to do that at times, but let's just start by looking at a very simple statistic. And I can't verify this entirely, but I've heard this statistic throughout the last 10 years and I want to share it with you. And this pertains to Christians. Maybe you're viewing or listening and you're not a Christian, but for those of us that are, this is a real statistic and that would be... That about 1% of people who are Christians, engaged Christians, are writing or producing the content for the rest of us. That's right. 99% of us that are receiving from the music, uh, the poetry, the social media influencing, the books, the curriculum, all that stuff, that is being written and produced by 1% of the body of Christ. And I thought that was such a staggering statistic. Now, I'm not suggesting that everybody that's writing or producing material in whatever creativity or whatever sphere they're in is is making it to sort of a viral status. But what I am saying is, is that the overwhelming majority of people are not producing any of the content for the rest of us. And what I would say is I think there's a whole lot more content out there that needs to be produced by people that are sitting there saying, I've got something in my heart, but just haven't done anything with it. I want you to get it out of here and here. I want you to do something with it. And I believe that it's not that hard. And that's why my story, I believe, could be compelling to you today because underneath all these other conversations that we're having, think about it, difficult conversations like faith deconstruction and church trauma, all this stuff. What we're really saying is is that there there are people that influence others. People are influenced by books, they're influenced by blogs, they're influenced by songs, they're influenced by social media. Today, everyone wants to be an influencer, but they want it to be cheap, okay? And it's not. If you really want to influence people in a right and righteous way, it can't be cheap. It's going to cost you a lot more than you want to pay. But if you realize what's on the other end of it, then you go into it going, you know what? I'm willing to pay the price. I'll calculate the cost. It's worth it a lot of people are being influenced by negative things, material and content that is maybe not meant originally to destroy or or deconstruct or harm or hurt, but I want us to produce material and content that will literally bring revival, that'll bring transformation to our city, our region, our families, our own family, and our own heart. If we get out of our heart what God has put in there and we produce it, I believe that we could bring a lot of change and influence. And maybe it is that we could stop some of the things that we've been talking about from even happening because we have a voice to it. And that's why I'm doing conversations with Ben Dixon. It was a dream. It was like, I just want to have a conversation with someone about whatever I deem important, things that are interesting to me, what I see going on, what's affecting and influencing people. I want to do that from a biblical and a spiritual angle because... While there are others that are doing it and you could say, hey, Ben, there's a lot of people that are doing it and they're doing it better than you. That's actually true. But those ideas or those thoughts are what stop the rest of us from doing anything. I could close up this podcast. Josiah's behind the camera right now. I could tell him, hey, man, go home, get more sleep. It's Friday morning. You shouldn't be doing this right now. We're wasting our time. There are better people that are doing this. There's better content out there. See, that's what everybody says who doesn't produce anything. And we've got to stop doing that. I've just made a a whether my content is the best or not I want to share what's in my heart and if you want to listen to what I have to say awesome I don't I don't uh, pretend to think everybody in the world's gonna listen or watch but whoever does I want it to be right and righteous I want it to be quality I want it to be transformative and so I'm gonna get better and at what I'm doing, and I want to get clearer in what I'm sharing, and I want to encourage you to do the same. Let me tell you a story about my life, and some of you might know this, but there probably are a lot of you that don't realize this. I became a Christian when I was 19 years old, and I've told that story several times to our church already in two years, and they're going to get tired of hearing it, probably not, but I'm going to keep sharing it because it brings glory to God and what He's done in my life. But when I became a Christian, I had a supernatural encounter with the Holy Spirit, not just one, but several times in the first year or two of my Christian life. Now, one of the things that I decided to do because I would, I was beginning to have spiritual experiences where I would hear the voice of God and I was going to a church at the time that didn't really believe in that in today's world that you just need to read the Bible. And I believe the Bible is God's eternal word forever and always, every generation, every people. And his word does not change, his, his word uh, is the truth. His word is the eternal voice of God. And no matter what we think we're hearing the Holy Spirit say, it, it, it cannot contradict his word because it is forever stamped into every generation. It is his word. But I begin to hear the Holy Spirit And it wasn't contradictory to the word of God. In fact, as I read the Bible, I saw the Holy Spirit speaking to people. And so the church that I was a part of at the time thought I was somewhat crazy. And hopefully you don't think that, but that's what they thought. And they said, just read the Bible. And I did. And as I read the Bible, I realized that many people in the Bible heard the voice of God. And I thought, wow, I'm being validated, which I don't think was what they were looking for when they told me to read the Bible to begin with. But nonetheless, I saw that God was interacting with people. And I thought, man, I don't understand what's happening to me. So, as a result of that, I found some conferences that were about five hours away from where I lived. And I was looking for churches that I could attend where I could learn more about hearing the voice of God, certainly on the foundation of his word and and all of that being healthy. But that's what I did. I was on a search. How can I learn what's going on with me? I went to a conference in the Eastern part of the state that I live in, in Washington State. And I got in line at the conference I was there. I got in line for coffee. I was just going to get some coffee that day. And there was a man that was standing in front of me. I didn't know him. I didn't. In fact, I didn't know anybody at the conference. But as we're standing there, he turned around and he pulled me aside and he began to give me a prophecy. Now I won't go into the prophecy, uh, but it was very powerful. And again, I didn't know anybody there. He didn't know me. I didn't know him. We didn't even say hi to each other hardly uh, I didn't realize this man was actually the speaker at the conference that I was going to, because I didn't even know who was who. I didn't know who was speaking to the conference. I didn't even know who the ministry was that was putting the conference on. That's the truth. Um, he pulls me aside and he says, hey, I see a picture of you speaking to these people and going to these nations and blah, blah, blah. He said all this stuff. And then at the end of it, he said, and you're gonna write books and those books are going to, uh, they're gonna be pr- produced in many languages. And this is going to be part of your influence as a Christian and as a Christian leader. And he kept using the word leader, he kept using the word books, and the prophecy went on for like five minutes. Anyways, when you're a young person, I think I was 22 at the time, maybe 21, all you hear is, you're awesome, you're gonna be awesome in your life, and God thinks you're awesome. And I was smiling and I was like, wow, I got a prophecy. Somebody thinks I'm amazing, God thinks I'm amazing, awesome. (laughs) But the crazy thing about this prophecy is, he's talking about me writing books, and at the time, I didn't even really write in my journal. I'm I'm barely a Christian. A couple of years, I didn't journal, or I didn't I, di- I didn't know how to do life journal or soap or. Um, or observe the Bible that well, I would tear apart the scriptures. I mean, I would read the Bible every day. I was reading a lot, hours, in fact. There were times where I just was reading for two or three hours. And that was normal because I was on fire. I came out of a life of immorality and drug addiction and all that. And I met Jesus and it was so real. I wanted to know his word, but i I was not a writer. I did not write. I did not like school. I was, now I'm taking all these classes. I'm taking every class you can take. I mean, I even took a master's level class, even though I wasn't in a master's program. I just wanted to take uh, as much Bible class as I could or classes as I could. This was important to me. I did not want to be a writer. I did not want to write. That was intimidating to me. I did not like doing that in school. I was not interested in going to school to do that, although I would write papers and did, it wasn't what I liked. Uh, in fact, I would tell you to this day, I don't enjoy it. I just don't. I, don't. I never sat around, nor do I at all today, and go, man, how can I write more and produce content that people would read and really like and be shaped by? Uh, I bang my head against the wall every time I do that. It just, it's aggravating, it's frustrating, it's difficult for me. And a person could easily say, well, maybe it's not God's will for your life. And that would be accommodating the flesh, I'm sure. But nonetheless, I had this prophecy and I couldn't shake it. I did think he was wrong. I was like, there's no way I'm gonna be writing books or anything. I was, I I was gonna preach and I do that, but I just thought he was off. Anyways, I go home, I cannot shake this prophecy. I cannot shake this word. It was so clear but it was there was no actionable steps for me. What do I do now? So I went home and because I couldn't shake this off me, I started writing in a journal. That's what I started doing. In fact, within six months, I was literally, literally writing curriculum. I was writing sermons, even though I didn't have anywhere to preach. I was writing curriculum and I didn't have a class to teach. That's the truth. And it was interesting because I wrote my first curriculum. I think it was called the priesthood of all believers. It was really about God using all people to fulfill the ministry of Christ. It it, it was simple, but it was like, to me, I wanted average people to do extraordinary things. I wanted everyone to get in the game. I didn't want anybody to be a spectator. I knew Christianity was not a spectator sport. So I wrote the priesthood of all believers. I still have the curriculum today. I went really deep into Exodus and all the things that were shadows and types of Christ who was to come and it didn't make any sense when it comes to just getting average believers, access to the things of the spirit. I've written a lot more since then that's clearer, more accessible, more helpful. But nonetheless, I was was willing to write this and I just was reading books like crazy. And um, you just couldn't stop me. That catalyst of a prophetic word led me to start journaling. It led me to start writing curriculum. It led me to start doing this. Nobody told me to do it. I just had a prophecy from some guy I never met and I never saw again. And that's the thing is that I needed God to give me a stamp of approval. And I didn't know that there was stuff in my heart that needed to get out. I didn't know God was planting seeds that he wanted me to water and cultivate that ultimately would bear fruit for his glory. I didn't know that. The prophecy gave me awareness of that. And it also was a catalyst for me to start putting things into action. And I had to fight for this. I really did. I had to fight against those voices in my head. I had to fight against voices in my life that told me, you're not qualified. You know, you don't have a background in this. You don't have an English degree. You don't have this, you know, that. All of those things I heard along the way in my path of writing books and doing all that kind of stuff, but I did I did want to say I, I brought some of the stuff with you I wrote my first book I wrote was is called hearing God and the second one I wrote is called prophesy but I also wanted to bring some of these to you and just show you that the prophecy came true like here's hearing God in Korean and here's hearing God in Spanish and here is hearing God in Turkish and uh, I listen when I started I didn't even I didn't think anything of what the guy said to me about multiple languages and all that type of stuff I didn't realize I'd have I probably were thirty-five to 40,000 copies of Hearing God distributed. As a Christian, if you have 5,000 copies of your book distributed and sold, that's very successful. Okay, most people think you gotta be a bestseller. No, most people will never be a bestseller. There's very few that will ever make it that far. That isn't the goal. The goal is to be influential. The goal is to take what you have and to get it out there. That is, the, that is an accomplishment in and of itself. And so um, I never thought that I would go that far. In fact, uh, it's kind of unbelievable when you think about it. But my journey was this, I, I, as I was writing curriculum, I started writing a curriculum about hearing the voice of God. And I, I would be pre- I'd preach on it for a decade. And I had hundreds, like literally like 150, not two, 300, but 150 messages probably about hearing the voice of God. And at that point, I'm like, I've got curriculum. All I got to do is write this into a user-friendly manual. And so I wrote training manuals for classes. And once I had training manuals for classes, the next step was to publish those And while I was doing that, instead of publishing them in the eight and a half by 11 training manuals, I said, you know what? I'm gonna put them into a reader-friendly version. And that's exactly what I did. And I'm so glad I did because that's what was accessible to most people. And I wrote questions and all that kind of stuff that could be used in small groups, sermon series and uh, classrooms. And it has been, and it is being used in all kinds of formats, far beyond what I could have ever uh, imagined. And again, this was just my study in scripture. It was my experience and it was what God wanted me to do. Now that story is just to illustrate something simple. Number one, I'm nobody, okay? And if I can do it, you can do it. Number two, I have no background in English, editing, uh, translations, publishing. I had none of that. What I had was a work ethic. What I had was a prophecy. If, if you have a work ethic, if you're willing to work hard and get things done and read and learn how to do this, whatever your field is, if it's blogging or if it's uh, doing video work or if it's doing poetry or if it's whatever creativity that God's put in your life to be an influencer of Jesus in the world that we live in, it really is going to get down to you doing the hard work and having actionable steps to, to, to take so that you fulfill whatever the Lord's put in your life. But there's some things that I think helped me, okay, to get to that place. First, it was the prophecy. I had to overcome these voices in my life. I had to just employ my work ethic and start taking steps. But there was a fundamental belief system that works in my mind that will help you, okay? Okay. And, and that isn't, you're awesome, you're amazing, you're the best person, you're better than others. All of that, you got to obliterate. None of that stuff helps. We don't need pride to be our guide. Come on now, Josiah's in the background and he's shaking his head. Pride cannot be our guide. That should be the name of the podcast, amen. I'm just going to show up at a church near you, that uh, qu- little quip right there. But here's a fundamental uh, part of my belief system that will help you lock this in. God uses people to shape his world. You have to lock that in. If you don't lock that in, you're going to have some kind of um, avoidance in your life that you, you have this thing that could literally change people's lives. It could change the world. But because you discount or dismiss yourself you you dismiss how God works. God uses people to shape the world. He doesn't use perfect people. You cannot find them in the Bible. What you find is reluctant, hesitant, disobedient, fleshly people who encounter God are obedient to God and do something with what he gives them. And that is what you have to lock in. We have to stop thinking small of ourselves. We have to start thinking big of God. And if you have something in you, God wants you to use it. And and this goes against the grain of that person. I, I've met a lot of you who are artists and you do drawings and paintings, and they're beautiful, they're magnificent. But because you discount yourself, you never share them with people. You know what I'm talking about. You never share them with people. You don't give them away. They're like your children, okay? And you have 200 children right now, and nobody should. It just shouldn't have, unless you are in charge of an orphanage, and that's a powerful thing. But my point is is that people treat their words, their their documents, their writings, their their poems, their Uh, their, their art. They treat them like little children and they don't want anybody to hold them or touch them or handle them or see them. And it's not healthy. You've got to share what you have with the world. It will inspire people. It will help people. And so a lot of the reason why we do that is because we think, oh, it's nothing. It's no big deal. It's not important. See, the opposite of that thinking is not you're the most important, you're amazing, you're better than others. It's just, I want to share what I have been given or the creativity that's in my life with other people. God uses people to shape the world. And our writing or our creativity is a part of that. I want to read you a verse. This is really important because this verse stuck out to me. I hope it gets conveyed to your heart the way that it has been to mine. But it's a story in Acts chapter 10. It's a very well-known story with a man named Cornelius. And this is where the apostle Peter is called by the Holy Spirit. He receives a vision to go to the house of a man named Cornelius, who's waiting there with his household to hear the gospel. And God shows Peter, this elaborate vision of not you know, caring about his dietary restrictions as a Jewish man, that he should be able to eat whatever is clean. Now, God uses that as a metaphor. The Holy Spirit speaks to him this way as a metaphor to say, I want you to speak to Gentiles and not just Jews. But let me go ahead and read this passage, Acts 10 and verse one through eight. And it says this, now there was a man at Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian cohort a devout man and one who feared God with all his household. And he gave many alms to the Jewish people and he prayed to God continually. About the ninth hour of the day, he clearly saw in a vision an angel of God who had just come in and said to him, Cornelius, and fixing his gaze on him and being much alarmed, he said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now dispatch some men to Joppa and send for a man named Simon. This is Peter, who is also called Peter, and he is staying with a tanner named Simon, who whose house is by the sea. When the angel who was speaking to him had left, he summoned two of his servants and a devout soldier of those of those who were his personal attendants, and after he explained everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. Now there are many things in this story that I could highlight, but the first thing I want to sh- I want to show you is that. God sent an angel. You have to hear, you have to see this. God sent an angel to Cornelius and told him, I want you to send people to Peter. God sent a vision to Peter and told him, I want you to go with the people that knock on the door. God gives a vision. God sends an angel. God sends messages and messengers. Okay. So here's the first question when Peter comes to Cornelius's house and he shares the gospel with this house and they give their lives to Jesus, that's the end of the story. Why couldn't God just use the angel who's standing right in front of Cornelius to share the gospel so that Cornelius and his house would get saved? Why why did God go out of his way to send a vision, a message and a messenger? One messenger said to Cornelius, go get this other guy because he's got something you need to hear. The angel's already there talking to him. Just say what needs to be said. This is the answer. God uses people to shape his world. This is such an important piece of what we have to be thinking when we think about even writing books or curriculum or whatever we're doing. God wants to use you and use me to shape the world. The creativity that's in us is not about our creativity. Sometimes it's God inspired seeds that need to be planted into the soil of houses of Cornelius. Maybe we're not going to influence a hundred people or a thousand or 10,000, who cares? But if we can influence one household, that household literally, as Peter came to share the gospel, that household literally was the start of the Gentile church. That was God's opening door to the Gentile world, to being saved. Before that, it was the Jewish church. Okay, why is this important? Because throughout the book of Acts, throughout Christian history, throughout the world that we live in today, there are people that are hearing the voice of God, He's planted something in their heart. They're following the spirit of God. They're standing on the word of God and they're just giving away what God's put in their heart. And they're not worrying about the impact, but they want and they desire for God to use their life. And that's all that matters. God uses people to shape his world. And that means you, and we've got to stop thinking it's not us. We've got to start thinking that it could be us. And that's what shifted in my mind. And that's what shifted in my heart. I can be an average person and I don't need, to care about impacting the whole world. Now, there's a flip side to that because today a lot of people on the other side, they want to influence a million people. I want a million followers. I want a million people. I want to influence. You have to let that go. So whether you're on the side where you think you're the most influential or you think you're not influential at all, who cares? Let it all go. Give what you have. When you give what you have, let the results be up to God. That's what's most important, okay? So we're not trying to be the best, we're not trying to not give anything. We're just trying to give away what we have and let the results be to God. The second really important marker in my mind was that God communicates through our words. He uses people to shape our world, but he communicates through our world. When I when I started going through scripture and I'm just gonna read some of these to you. I don't mean to, I'm not trying to teach you per se today, But when you start reading these passages, you realize very quickly that the Bible is such a profound document because he used human authors. He could have floated these commandments out of the sky. He could have etched them in the side of a mountain. He could have done anything like that to ensure that it was completely 100% only from God. And yet he chose in his sovereign plan to use people to communicate his words. Now, I'm not comparing anything we're gonna do with the Bible. The Bible is the eternal word of God, but in the same way, at least God wanting to communicate through us inspirationally, not necessarily eternally through a, a, a document or his word that would be the foundation for what all people would always believe concerning Christianity and really... God's salvation plan, the end of the world, and so on. I think it's important that we recognize God's methodology is to use people and to use words to communicate his truths and to bring encouragement from his heart. Look at Exodus 17, 14. Let me just read a few here. I've got so many, I can't read them all. And this is what the Bible says. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this in a book as a memorial and recite it to Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek." from under heaven. I'm gonna drop down to Deuteronomy 31, 19. Now, therefore write this song for yourselves and teach it to the sons of Israel. Put it on their lips so that this song may be a witness for me against the sons of Israel. I'm gonna drop down to Isaiah 30, verse eight. Now go, write it on a tablet before them and inscribe it on a scroll. Jeremiah 36 verse one, in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, this word came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, take a scroll and write on it all the words I have spoken to you. What about Habakkuk chapter two and verse one? I will stand on my guard post and station myself on the rampart. I will keep watch to see what he will speak to me and that how I may reply when I am reproved for the Lord answered me and said, record the vision. I want you, I, I hope you're getting where I'm going here. Luke chapter one and verse one. Luke writes Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile an account of the things accomplished among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the word, it seemed fitting for me as well, having investigated everything carefully from the beginning, to write it out for you in consecutive order. I could go on in the book of Revelation, so on and so forth. Here's my point. As the Bible, God's word was written by people through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Now that's the canon of scripture. I'm not messing with that. That's in, that's in a, uh, you know, a category all its own, but God has always used words. He calls men and women to write things down. He calls us to communicate his words. He, communi- he calls us to influence people in his name. So I say to you today, listen, write it down. Write it out. Put out there what God has given to you. He uses people. Now, everyone has something to say. That's another really practical thing that I've locked into my heart. Everyone has something to say. Everyone has something to share. Our songs are revelations of the beauty of God, his nature, his character. Our blogs are thoughts that contrast biblical thinking from the cultural norms of our day. Our poems are full of of the Holy Spirit inspiring us and releasing a challenge and a courage. Our books bring the ancient... Uh, this ancient text to life as we instruct people in our time about that which has been written uh, thousands of years ago. These concepts, these precepts really give us handles on how to live out a spirit-filled life in the day in which we're living. Here's what I'm saying. You have something to say. It doesn't matter how many people hear it. It just matters that we get it out there. And that's what I want you to hear today. Now, let me encourage you, how you're going to do that. What are the actionable steps? That's what you're asking today. I can hear you. I know this is a monologue, but I'm just pretending myself having a conversation, having coffee with you. You're asking, okay, I hear you, Ben. You're saying God uses people to shape the world. You're saying that God uses words to shape the world and he uses human vessels to do that. You're saying everyone has something to say. Okay, I'm convinced. You've convinced me 100%. Uh, I've already gotten more than what I paid for in this podcast alone. Amen. Thank you for tuning in. But this is the important part. What are the actionable steps? All right, I'm gonna tell you what to do. You ready? Write this down. You need to write this down. It's very important. This is what I did. Make an outline. If you have something that you need to get out of you, make an outline. So if that's a song, you can you can go on YouTube and figure out how to write songs. There's a structure to writing a song. I'm just gonna talk about books for a minute. How do, how do you write a book? The easiest way to write a book is make an outline. This is what I do. I'm writing another book right now. And before I even start writing, I literally, some people are different and they're gonna teach you different. I don't care, okay? This is my podcast. I write an outline. I already have my 15 chapters of book number three. Those are done before I ever start writing. And I found that I had a gift. My gift was being able to, uh, to do outlines. I, I, I'm better at that than I am even content. I can actually structure something um, in a linear way, and it makes a lot of sense. That's why I, ser- I really like sermons for that reason, not because I just like preaching, but I really do like structuring stuff. I like um, standardizing curriculum. I like this sequential order. I, I see it as something that God has p- given me that makes sense. I see things building on on each other. Um, maybe you're not good at that, but write out an outline. Nonetheless, it may not be your gift. It may not be something that you've ever done before, but just say, Hey, I want to write a book with 17 chapters or seven chapters or five chapters, whatever. Or I want to write a blog And the same way that you would write a paper. You have a thesis. What's your point? You have a body. You have a conclusion. You start here. You end here. You write that skeleton out very, very um, important. Knowing where you start, knowing where you finish helps you to fill it in. And And I would encourage you highly, if you cannot finish your outline, it really makes it difficult to get the content uh, done because your structure isn't in place, right? It's sort of like a, a human body has a skeleton. And uh, it says in Ezekiel 37, it talks about the dry bones coming to life. Well, the bones start, it's the structure of the person. This, it's a metaphor. I won't try to interpret the prophecy, but it says dry bones come alive. It says the bones come together. And then it says that the flesh, the sinew and all that is attached to all that, the structure has to be first. Okay. So that's what I'm talking about. I used a very strange parallel from Ezekiel 37. Don't look up that reference. All right. It doesn't matter. I'm just trying to tell you skeletons do matter. A roadmap. Let's just use that metaphor. You need a roadmap. Where are you going? Okay. What are the stops along the way? Me and my son are about to go on a road trip, multi-state. We need to know where we're starting, which is in Atlanta, Georgia, and where we're going to end up, which is in Atlanta, Georgia. Where are we going to the Carolinas? We're going to Tennessee. We're going all over the place. We know where we're going and we know where we're going to end up. Number two, that was only one point. I've got five. Number two, schedule weekly and daily time to devote to your writing. Okay? Schedule it. Do not have wishful thinking. Wishful thinking is nothingness. That's my word. It's nothingness. It will not happen. You have to have weekly or daily time. Now, the way I did this is I said Friday was my day off, used to be, and I would have four hours to to do this for for writing a book, for example. And that's where I started, okay? You have to put skin in the game. you got to schedule it out and you stay devoted to it. That's where you start writing your outline. That's where you start putting things together. It's just what you have to do. If you don't schedule it, you won't do it. So I started with weekly, And then from there, I moved to a couple times a week. For me, it had to be uh, four hours of my day off. And by the way, if you ask me this question, like what's the sweet spot of writing? I can't go much beyond like three to four hours at a time. Now, that just gives you kind of uh, some understanding that we're all limited in our ability to keep going. Uh, Some of you who write papers, if you're in college or graduate school or whatever, you know this. You can press in and press through and all that, but you're just not going to get the highest quality. So I really think it's important that you put away all your other stuff um, in that you, you schedule those three to four hours and take breaks. You need to take a break after that to kind of f- freshen up your mind, your thoughts. I take walks, I take breaks. I go uh, mess with other people in our office after I'm doing this stuff. It really helps me. I have to do it. That's my sweet spot, three to four hours. I can't go much beyond that because uh, I want to do high, higher quality. So my experience is if you don't schedule it, you won't do it. I think it's best to have more than an hour and no more than four hours at a time. If you can do that better or different, good on you. If you can do 30 minutes um, and you can get something done in that amount of time, uh, great. I still think you should should probably schedule more, especially if you're starting out. Develop the discipline um, even when you don't feel like it. This is why we schedule. I do not ever feel like it. I do, listen, when I come to do the podcast and produce some material and content to get this done, I honestly don't always feel like doing it. There's a part of me that just doesn't want to. There's a part of me that just doesn't want to do the podcast. And I always tell myself I'm not ready. I don't know what I'm going to say. I haven't done enough research. Yeah, I do want to do better and I want to do more research and all of that. I have a lot of good ideas, but it takes a lot of time to get the content ready to do something like this. But if you lived by your feelings, you'd never do it at all. You just wouldn't. And, And that goes for me too. Find a good and a quiet place to do it. I think the... Um, I think this is essential when you're going to schedule. You also need to schedule where and not just when. So that's important. Schedule weekly, daily time. Number three, just start writing. Have you ever heard of free writing? Okay, free writing is not free. It will cost you something, but the point is, is that you got to start somewhere and you just got to get it out. Okay. So when I write a book, and I'm writing this book right now. I don't sit there and stare at the computer. I learned that lesson early on. You cannot do that. If you do that, you will literally die. You will be there for an hour and you will stare at the computer and nothing will happen. And the most discouraging thing that can happen to you in that time is to stare at a blank screen and go, I suck. This sucks. Nothing's gotten better. Don't do that. Start writing, okay? Even if you have to erase a lot of it later, it doesn't matter. That's why your structure is first, and then you start to fill things in. And as you do that, do not stare at blank screens. Don't go longer than five, six minutes without writing something. It is discouraging. I do not encourage it. I would tell you also that your thoughts begin to flow and connect as you write, not just before you write. Perfectionism is not welcome in the process and the progress of you putting out there what God's put in your heart. It is not welcome. It is not your friend, okay? Procrastination is not your friend. Sitting there staring at a screen is not your friend, all right? You just need to banish those from sitting at the table with you. Reviewing and changing things is easier down the road than perfectionism up front, okay? I've learned that lesson. Number four critics will help you. The Bible says in Proverbs 27, iron sharpens iron. Not everything we say is the truth, okay? God's word is the eternal truth. I've learned this lesson. Sometimes my critics have been very helpful to me, especially when your book gets out there. When you get more than a couple thousand copies, you're gonna have a couple thousand people that are gonna say something about what you gotta say. And you might need to get refined, okay? That's why I love editors. You might think, well, I can't write. Let's just say you're writing a book or you want to write a book. You could say, well, I don't know how to edit. There are people called editors. I have learned this and they are very specific uh, type of people. And I love editors, all right? And they take my words and they make them better. And that's awesome. So critics, whether it's constructive criticism or it's deconstructive criticism, All of that can help you. Do not take it personally. Do not be offended. God's word cannot be changed. Our words can and should often be changed. They should get refined. And so you have to come to the table thinking all of this gets revised, all of this gets edited, all of this could be better. And that is where you have what I call a license to grow. I have a license to grow. I wanna get better, more refined. I wanna say things more clearly, more concisely. All of that's true for me. It's very important latch on to that, take that with you. If you don't grow, you die, that's the truth. So we wanna grow, we want our words to get better and learn to receive correction well. Let your thoughts and your writing be edited. Learn to receive correction well. I have a theory that if we had a heart to receive correction, it would never feel harsh. That's my theory. I think correction would never be a difficult thing if we were taught that it could be a helpful thing. And the reason why we're so, uh, we lack a teachable nature, uh, or one of the reasons is because we think of correction as a negative thing, like we failed or we're not good or we're not good enough. No, if we had a license to grow and we realized and adopted the view that we say we believe, but I think we ought to put more into practice, is that. I start here, I end up there in the process I'm growing. And that means I'm growing in everything. And so if something isn't perfect, that's fine. If something isn't as good as it can be, that's fine. Adopt that view and criticism, constructive and deconstructive criticism will help you ask me how I know. And number five, find and develop your style. Uh, This is really important. We're all very different, whether that's speaking, whether that's writing, or whether that's you know, influencing people in very creative ways. You are not someone else and you never will be. You may be like someone else, but you don't want to be someone else. What is your style? And let me encourage you because I learned this over a long period of time. It took me years to figure out who I was. It took me years to figure out my style. It took me years to figure out how I wanted to do things. I glean from tons of people, and I've got a lot of people to thank for my development and where I'm at today. And in some ways, I'll sound like a few different people because they helped shape me, and there's no shame in that. I've discipled a lot of people. Uh, Some have said they sound like me. That's respectable, Absolutely, they should sound like you, but it takes a while to find your own voice. And when you do, you start to shape that voice. Now, my writing, uh, it comes off kind of like the Bible, not not in the, uh, it's power, okay, or it's authority, but the Bible is sort of clear and concise and to the point, there's different genres, uh, there's different types of literature in the Bible, but I've read so much of the Bible more than anything else that if you read my books, you're going to see that I sort of write like what you would read in scripture or the way that it's conveyed. Um, So whatever you're reading and whatever you're consumed with, it does shape how you communicate. Some books today you'll read and they're very cultural. Uh, they'll have a lot of cultural quips. They'll refer to a lot of cultural issues. Um, I try to write timeless. That's my thing. And so I try to think about, is this illustration going to be 10 years, um, uh, sort of a 10-year timestamp? And then after that, it doesn't work anymore. Uh, I try to make sure that whatever I use in my writing is uh is worthy of reading 30 40 years from now that's important to me that's just the way that i think about it so uh, think about your style what are you writing why are you writing it who are you writing it to generally speaking and uh and and so those are the factors that go into your writing as you develop yourself but you're going to grow and all of that is uh is really important now i've also put together and i'm pulling this up real quick i i put together a a helpful manual or maybe just a document is what I would rather call it. For those that are going to write a book, okay, I'm kind of leaning towards writing the book because that's what I've done. And I have experience with that. I also have experience with writing curriculum. Now developing the curriculum where it looks more creative and user-friendly, that is not something that I'm good at. See, I think that's where two people can work together. One One person can produce the content, the other can uh, can be creative in how to deliver that content. For example, Josiah is with me here in the studio and we have a bunch of cameras and all kinds of stuff. He's the one that can help deliver the content. He's the one that can capture it. He's the one that can make it sound good and look good. I'm just the one that produces it. I'm the one that sits here and says what I say and I write the documents and and all of that. So you have content, creativity, but those two coming together can equal clarity. And that's where it's powerful. You see, so you have um, collaboration in these things as well. But if you want to write a book, listen carefully to this, because this is a document that I wrote um, and I produced with other people as well. This this is a long time in the making, but I wanted to just share some thoughts with you. You're like, man, how do I get started? Well, let let me just say, number one, here's some things when you're looking for a publisher, okay? Um, your publisher is a great resource. You can start seeking them out before your work is complete. Um, they're going to be your biggest supporter. But you have to understand this: understand that your a writer's work is never done. You you are when you're done, be done. You will seriously drive yourself insane if you keep going back through your document to make changes. So you need to have deadlines. Okay. When you're looking for a publisher, you need to understand this: is that your writing that you deliver to them, your rough draft, okay? It's important that you complete it um, and that you understand it's not finished when you give it to them. They know that because they have editors. That's what you're looking for. You can't keep going back and forth, okay? At some point, one of the reasons why people don't uh, finish their book is simple. It's because they can never finish it and it's never done. I know people like that right now. They can't finish their book and because they can't finish it, they're not willing to let it go in their perfectionism, uh, the publisher that they were going to use or was standing by, I mean, they're not going to be able to do anything with the document they don't have. So understand that being an author is hard work. It's like starting a business. It's an extension of who, who you are. Your book is your message. You have to research the book market um, it's going to open your eyes. I want to tell you this, okay? When it comes to finding a publisher, unless you're somebody, most publishing companies do not take new authors. They just don't. I think they take five to 10 a year and I don't even know if they do that anymore. So for you to get a book deal, you don't have to be somebody. And I, and I know that sounds, we're all somebody. I kind of dismisses what I've just said to you. What I mean is that you'd have to have a platform okay, they're not gonna take a new book of a person that doesn't have a very uh, public platform. And so I just decided when I started writing books that I wasn't gonna go look for a traditional publisher. And I would discourage you from that unless you have a public platform. What does that mean? Like you've got thousands and thousands of followers on your social media. You have a ministry where you're speaking regularly, you're well-known or something like that. You have to have a larger Audience, um, God may introduce you to a publisher that may happen, but unless you have a name and a platform, you can't even sell the books. So I would discourage you from that. If you if you're not in that category, most of us aren't ninety 99 percent of us are not. I wasn't so I started with self-publishing now self-publishing there's a lot of different companies research the market look at who's out there look at the prices and what you're going to get from them for that price that is very important are they providing an edit are they providing that pagination are they providing um, the the cover are how much are they how much work are they doing for how much money there's lots of them out there look at their work look at how many people they've uh, published What do those books look like? Do you like the look of the book? Do you like the layout of the book? I've actually ordered books from those individuals and got them in my hands and I've looked them over to see what they look like. That's very important before you lock into a self-publisher because you're going to spend three to $10,000 to produce a book, depending on what you want or the package that you buy from them. And it doesn't matter who you use in that sense, but what there are some things that I think are Extremely important when you're thinking about uh, a publisher. And I'm going to come back to that here in a minute. But let's look at this common and potentially costly mistakes when you're writing a book. Um, you do not need an edited manuscript, okay? That's what your publisher is for. You want to find a package that can edit, all right? If you have an editor already that you think is high quality, then you can use them and you can skip that step and buy a package without the editing. But if your editor's not that good, these publishing companies work with professional publishers, okay? Self-publishing companies do. That's what they do. So I've used a couple different ones. And it's it's important that you realize your manuscript is a rough draft. Number two, don't go looking for a publishing deal. This is what I've already said. Don't assume that you have the next number one bestseller. (laughs) Your book might be good, but it's not a number one bestseller, okay? Most people have to get several books out there before that ever happens. It is a miracle. I mean, it is a downright miracle for somebody to have a bestseller. So don't buy the dream, all right? Just be influential, put out there what you have, accomplish what you have in your heart. Um, most publishers don't want a previously published book. Okay. They don't unless it was wildly successful. I mean, we're talking like the chicken soup books. Okay. That was a previously self published book and a publisher picked that up because of how successful it was. It's not normal. Like my book, Hearing God is successful, but uh, in in Christian book eyes, but most people aren't going to want to pick that up and use that because it's already had its Shelf life, unless they think they can put gasoline on the fire, they're just not going to want to do it. Publishing companies run uh, by incentive, they need to make money, and they're not trying to make you money, they're trying to make them money. That's why they're in the business. So it's got to be mutually incentivized. So just want you to know that if you're going to go the self publishing route, go that route. If you want to go traditional publishing, you can. I'd discourage it unless you have a really high uh, platform. Um, This is tips for writing your book. Uh, This is, of course, I've told you, make an outline, make time to write, set a deadline, do your research in advance, make sure you cite all of your resources. uh, Plagiarism is not okay. Hear me when I say this, people are getting picked off for plagiarism left and right. All right, especially if your book gets into thousands and thousands of hands. Do not plagiarize, give credit to everybody that you use their material. Whenever you quote uh, someone, you cite the the reference you you have these citations in in the back of your book that's what i do and i try not to use a lot of references personally because i know that when you're using someone else's content um it's hard to start and stop so what i do is i try to block a lot of that out i only use other people's sources if i absolutely need to uh, you got to choose what kind of book you want to do but that's just my opinion. I think it's better to just not use other people's material unless it really helps and enhances the material that you're writing. In that case, absolutely do it, but cite them, make sure that you're accurate. Um, Make sure that you're writing to the audience that you're trying to reach. Now, You might have a general audience and that's fine. Typically that's what I have, Um, but I know I'm writing to Christians. If you're gonna write to non-Christians, you're gonna have to broaden it a bit because they don't have the same language. And uh, you're gonna have to obviously follow it up with the marketing that makes a lot of sense. All right, so those are tips for writing your book. And then here's the thing. Finally, when you're producing your book things to keep in mind regarding the publisher. I've already talked about looking for a publisher, but the royalties. Um, you're looking for somebody that pays you 100% of all the money received. You also want copyright. You want 100% of your copyright. Everything's in your name. So what I decided to do, as you can see on uh, on my book, and I'll just bring it out, is that I found a company that will work with me and i have ignite global media that's my ministry and you can go to ignite org. what i did is i did a partner deal with this company that i worked with called egen and basically we signed a document that i have 100 percent copyright i own all of my materials all of my own files they produce it but i own it and they actually produce it in my name in my own company And the reason that I did that is because ultimately I want to give everything to my kids. I want them to have all of my files. I want them to be able to sell it. I want them to be able to produce it. I want them to be able to change it. It is going to be theirs. So all of my materials that I write, they're in my own name. I partner with a self-publisher who writes it in my name and you can write, there are companies that will do that. Some won't, some want to put their moniker on your book. Um, they want everyone to know that it's that they're the self publisher. You're you're barely going to find the self publishing company that I use because we did what's called a partnership agreement. I would recommend that actually, and you can start your own 501c3. I started my own uh, media company. And that's just the way that I'm gonna do it. I can do the same thing for our church. I know how to do that. It's it's very advantageous. If you're gonna write multiple resources, which I am, I plan on writing 20 books. I plan on having tons of curriculum. I plan on having a whole media branch ultimately uh, before it's all said and done. Um, if it gr- if it grows, if it takes off, if it gets off the ground, great. If it doesn't, I don't care. I'm just putting those resources out there and I own it all because I want to give it to my children. And that's, that's the important part. I don't make a lot of money. If you're looking to make money, stop thinking that. I've sold a lot of books, uh, but I don't make any of the money. I give it all back. I personally have done that. A friend of mine who produced books, he's published by several well-known publishers. He told me, if you're going to write a book, don't even think you're going to make money. It takes a lot of work and effort, and you're going to have to get out there speaking. You're, I mean, you're going to have to do so much to actually make money. Most people do not make money, any money on their books, especially their first book. You would have to sell, we're talking like 50, 100,000 copies to, to really make any money that's substantial. To be a full-time writer off of your own books, that, that just is not normal. It, it's not normal. Most people don't don't even make a lot of residual income. We're talking like $100, $200 a month. That's probably what I make. I'm in the $100 to $200 a month range of what sells online. I don't try to sell any more than that. Um, I don't go to places where I speak and really sell my book. I give them away most of the time because I don't need the money per se. I, I'm not looking to make the money off of it. And what am I going to make? An extra couple thousand dollars? I don't want to. I just want people to read my materials. So you have to decide in that regard, how you want to structure um, your materials. I've made a decision that I want to give my books away. I want to inspire people as many as I can. Um, So people have fueled that, people have funded that. It's really important. Um, Another thing when you're looking at a publisher is quality get the highest quality that you can. When you're getting your book published, remember it goes back and forth with you and the publisher several times. Okay. Those are like, that's like three months of work right there. Make sure that you set aside a ton of time to get that look in the way you want, to get that sounding the way you want. I'm picky. People in my life know that, but I'm picky for a reason because this is going to be published. Okay. This is going to be published. You need to remember that. You can't, it's hard to make changes. I've made a change to hearing God. We had to redo a ton of stuff, prophesy. We had to redo a ton of stuff. Let me just tell you, it's really hard. And once you post something on Amazon and these other online platforms to do on, on-demand printing, uh, it's really hard to get those files changed out because they end up producing a ton of your books and putting them in this warehouse somewhere. And so they're constantly shipping out your old books for the next year. And then when you put that new file in their system, you're not even getting that new file printed out with the new books sent to people from Amazon because they have all these books printed already. That's how they make money. So it's difficult. Make sure your book is done as best as possible the first time, so that when you put those files out there on all these platforms, which I could do a whole podcast on, they're as good as it it gets. When it comes to your uh, cover, um, some of the companies don't do as good of a job as I think uh, you could by outsourcing it. So make sure you want it the way uh, you'd like it. Now, me, I'm just simple. So this is just an audio file. Me and a friend, David Sproul, shout out. Uh, we we created this in about 15 minutes. I know it sounds crazy, but we actually wanted this. Uh, to go through the whole book. So you'll look at one of my chapters and you'll see the audio file that my publishing company that I work with took that file on the front and they just put it in front of every chapter. It was just sort of a, a moniker. It's a way to uh, have a visual throughout the book, even if it's in black and white. And I loved it. And I think it's really simple. And when people look at it, they know what it is. I think in 10 years, they might know what it is. Um, but I just think simple is the way forward. A lot of books, if you look at them, they see all this uh there's a ton of stuff on the book and it's just kind of funky when you look at it 40 years later i doubt that they i doubt that they were thinking 40 years in advance so i would encourage you covers simple and uh, make sure they don't look like they're 20 years old. Make sure that they look current. Think timeless if you can, something that could be understood in 20 or 30 years. Think, uh, uh, Think about not having so many things. People are trying to be too creative on the front. A person looks at a book for about two seconds. They do not look at a book more than that. They're not trying to be inspired necessarily by the cover. They want to see it and get it. And that's what matters to me. So these are just my personal views when it comes to, uh, writing a book and producing a book. If you, if you need uh, any more help on producing a book, do not call me because I don't have the time to mentor you in this. But there are people out there that you can get mentoring on this. And I think it's really important. My hat's off to anybody that's done this. And even if you don't sell a lot of books or even if you don't produce a lot of books, What a powerful thing that it is to have that produced, that you can give it to your friends, your family, and your children. And here's the, I'll I'll close by saying this. The Lord, one time I was um, praying, this was several years after I received that prophetic word from that person in in that conference that I shared with you uh, in our podcast here. Uh, But the Lord showed me a vision when I was praying one time. And it was a vision where, I saw a bookcase and it was full of books. And these books had my name on them. There were different subjects and whatever. And there was tons of them. And then I saw what was a um, a, a child, maybe 10 years old, not, not re- really young, but not old either. And they walked up to the bookcase in this vision and they picked out one of my books. And it was a book. And I knew that I was like their great grandfather. I wasn't their grandfather, but I was like their great grandfather. And I knew I wasn't alive in this vision, but they wanted to see what, I had written about a specific subject and they could go right up to the bookcase and they could take the book off of the shelf and they were reading it. This 10 year old was reading what I had written. And it was really powerful in the vision. I was really emotional when I saw this. And I realized that what I had left behind was more than a couple pictures. I had left behind more than um, some quips or some jokes or some memories that may or may not be passed down. I, I left everything that I knew about God, whatever I had in my relationship with God, I had written it down. And my m- the most important audience that I have was my family. And this is the vision that God gave to me to inspire me to produce everything that he had given to me and put in my heart. And it, it no longer became about getting the books out to other people or becoming someone or selling a book or anything like that. The inspiration that I had was actually to finish and accomplish these written materials so that my family would have everything that I thought about God and my relationship with him and the scriptures. And they could build on that. And that's really what I want. I want my family to take what I had and build on it. And this to me is what we call legacy. And that's what most encourages me as I think about influencing the people in my life. I first wanna most influence my family. And then anybody that goes out in sort of a, concentric circle from my family and my home. I mean, that's just a bonus to me. And so I'm thankful for whatever influence God gives me, but I have to steward my influence, uh, even if it's just my family. And I wanna encourage you to do the same thing. And let me just stop our podcast by saying this, you can produce and put out there whatever God has given to you. You can write, you can produce content, you can do those videos, you can do those songs, you can produce whatever it is that God puts in your heart. It's just a matter of taking the next step. And as a person who didn't know what to do in the beginning of all this, let me say to you, if I can do it, so can you. And do not let your voice or any other voice tell you that you can't. Do not let the voice of pride tell you that it's because you're amazing. And do not let that inferiority complex tell you you can't because you're not amazing. Just produce whatever is in your heart and watch how God will use that because he uses people, he uses words, and he will make much of himself through our lives as we bring glory to Jesus. And that really is the goal, isn't it? That really is the goal. So God bless you today. I really hope this encouraged you. I hope it inspired you to get moving and to do something with what you have. And I look forward to our next podcast together and, uh, and, and we'll talk more about these things in the future. So God bless you. Thank you for tuning in. I will see you next time.